0: believe a key ingredient to the success in life is learning to control your emotions. So over the past few weeks, we've been talking about uh, spiritual maturity and closely linked with spiritual maturity is emotional maturity. In my experience, most people um, are not emotionally equipped to deal with the real life challenges ...that they face every single day. Every single one of us faces challenges at work or at school or at home. And, and, I, and in my experience over the last 30 some odd years as a pastor... ...I've realized that so many people in the church and certainly outside of the church... ...are not emotionally equipped to deal with the challenge they face every single day. They struggle to try to figure out how to resolve, if you will, their relational issues... Conflict resolution is a lost art. The ability, when you get into a conflict with someone, it is a lost art. How to sit down, how to resolve that conflict, how to say you're sorry, being able to accept an apology, but even walking through your emotions when you get into a conflict. Um, So many people lack, if you will, um, common sense. I've heard so many of you say that. It's like, uh, this person doesn't have any, they don't have any common sense. I am constantly talking with people who say things like, my boyfriend is on drugs or he's an alcoholic. Can't hold down a job. Um, he abuses me physically or emotionally. Um, I think he's cheating on me, but I love him and I want to marry him. And you laugh, like, uh, you laugh, but honestly, in general, I have those conversations all the time. And I'm thinking, do you understand what you just said and then what you said here at the end? And people don't have that emotional maturity. Emotional maturity is seldom taught in schools, whether it's in lower grades or in high school or in college, because many of the educators are emotionally immature. So it's hard to teach emotional maturity when you yourself are emotionally immature. I believe that it is an, we have an epidemic of emotional immaturity in our culture itself. Think about it. Our government, many who run large companies or or institutions, are spiritually and emotionally immature. I mean, it, you just kind of process through that pride. Uh, greed, self-centeredness, the inability to, to control yourself, if you will. Your, the inability to control one's desires or words are, are symptoms of I- emotional immaturity. All you need to do is read the news or turn on television. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You watch people sometimes interact and you're thinking, these are adults, Like interacting with each other. These are people in positions of authority that are interacting with each other and not very well. So the first question we need to ask ourselves is, let's just walk through, what is emotional maturity? What is emotional maturity? Emotional maturity is developed when you go from self-centeredness to other-centeredness. When you become less self-centered and more other-person-centered, if you will. The immature... Take, the mature give, the mature think of others and how their words and how their attitudes and how their actions work will influence or affect those around them. So they think through, if I say this, how will it affect those around me? You know, you're dying to just let it, but you say, no, if I say that, how is that going to affect this person? If I tell my child this in this way, how is it going to affect them or my boss or my, my coworkers? They think through how their actions and their words influence those around them. That in, and that, in essence, if you will, is the difference between maturity and immaturity, the ability to think through and control your actions, your words, your attitudes, those things that, that life brings, if you will. We are not born, no one is born with emotional maturity. And in order to continue to grow in maturity, emotional maturity, you, you, God needs to intervene in our lives. The Holy Spirit needs to work in our lives. Not to say that there are people out there who don't know the Lord, who are not. They're, they're all emotionally immature. But to truly achieve The kind of emotional maturity that God wants for our lives, He needs to be a part of our lives. Because you are going to reach a ceiling that you cannot overcome without the, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Without the work of God's presence in your everyday life. Emotional maturity needs to be learned also from someone who is already emotionally mature. You cannot learn emotional maturity from someone who's not emotionally mature. You cannot learn it from immature parents. You can't learn it from immature teachers. You can't learn it from immature leaders. And you can't learn it from immature pastors. You need to learn it from someone who is already emotionally mature. Now, this may surprise you, okay? I'm going to walk through some of these things. This this may surprise you, but intellect does not equal maturity, emotional maturity, my IQ and my degrees don't add up to, if you will, emotional maturity. Just because I have uh, degrees here or my IQ is whatever it is, you know, it doesn't mean that a person is emotionally mature. Having authority or power or influence does not make a person emotionally mature. Wisdom, wisdom does not equal emotional maturity. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, but he lacked emotional maturity. In Ecclesiastes chapter two, verses nine through 11, it says this: "I became greater, more powerful, more wealthy, greater, everything that includes, by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me, so he had wisdom. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all of my toil. Yet when I surveyed all my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. My wisdom stayed with me, but not emotional maturity. It wasn't there. A clear indication of emotional immaturity is the inability to curb your natural desires. What you desire, what you see, you want. I have to have this. The ability to just be able to say, you know, that that is outside of the boundaries of what God wants from me. Or what he wants from me right now in my life. And so it's the ability, emotional maturity, is the ability to curb those natural desires. I give you Solomon in verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Nothing. Think of all the women that he had, right? Think of all the things that he had done throughout his life. I refuse my heart no pleasure. If I saw it, if I desired it, I did it. I just experienced it all, says the immature person says the emotionally immature person. What I see, I want. If I want it, I take it. If I want to drink it, I drink it. If I want, it, if I want to have that person, I have that person. Whatever I, can, whatever I see and desire, my, my fleshly desires, I take advantage of those situations, says the spiritually immature person. Okay, courage. So if wisdom, okay, does not equal emotional maturity. It's important to have wisdom, but it doesn't always equal emotional maturity and spiritual maturity. Courage does not equal emotional maturity the holy spirit used nathan the prophet to develop david's emotional maturity king david was an amazing man everyone would say he's just an amazing person david though may have had the courage to slay goliath everyone else is like filled with fear this giant warrior and here comes david that we all look to and say that what courage What chutzpah that guy had, right? David, King David, he was ready to slay Goliath. He slayed Goliath. But that doesn't mean, that does not mean that he mastered. Doesn't mean he was completely immature. I'm not saying that at all. It doesn't mean, though, because he had courage to slay Goliath, that he had mastered emotional maturity. He proved that with Bathsheba. He proved that with Bathsheba. He sees her on the rooftop bathing. So he sees her, and then he desires her. So he sees her, lets his mind go that direction, lets his whole being go that direction, and so he sleeps with her. Then, after he sleeps with her, to cover up his adultery, okay, and what had happened and all that, he then sends Uriah the Hittite to the front lines and basically kills her husband, so, he, so what he does is he says, what's more important? Me. What did I say in the very beginning? Emotional maturity is when you go from self-centeredness to others-centeredness. That's not David here. Kills her husband to cover up his own sin. David's action reflect a gap, a gap in his emotional maturity. We all need to ask. I'll tell you what, this past couple weeks, I've been asking myself, where is my gap? Where is my emotional immaturity? where's the gap in my life? David had some gaps here, big gaps, but it's easy to point to David and say, we got to take a step back. because It's really all about learning from them so we can apply it to our own lives. So where's your emotional gap? Okay. Where's your, where's your, 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 where are your gaps in life? So Nathan confronts David regarding his adulterous relationship by telling him this story, and I was just going to tell you, I, have to, I want to read this to you because there's nothing like just reading it. 2 Samuel, chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. So the Lord sent, so David did this, so Samuel the prophet goes to David, okay? The Lord wants to teach David something. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan came to him and said, there, are, there were two men in a certain city. One was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cows. But the poor man had one little female lamb that he, that, that, that he bought. Okay, he starts out. One little, can just picture it. Close your eyes and picture this: One little female lamb. He's going to put everything into it, okay? This one little female lamb that he had bought. He raised her. And she grew up in his home with his children. She would eat his food and drink from his cup. She rested in his arms like, like a daughter. Now a visitor came to the rich man. The rich man thought he would, it would be a pity to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared her, using her, not it, okay, prepared her for the traveler. David's listening to this story. He's the king, okay? David's the king. And Nathan comes to him and tells him a story. And David, it says, David burned with anger against this man, right? I solemnly swear as the Lord lives, he said to Nathan, the man who did this certainly deserves to die. And he must pay back four times the price of the lamb because he did this and had no pity. He's all worked up. Nathan gets them all worked up. And then when he says, this person should die, this person needs to pay back four times. And what does Nathan say to him? You are the man. You are the man. notice Nathan told this intense story to stir up David's emotions. He didn't just tell some story like, yeah, yeah, good story. Thanks, Nathan. I appreciate it. He told an intense story because he wanted, he would, God wanted to stir up David's emotions. And so David would learn something. Okay. And what David was learning, Nathan was teaching David self-reflection. You want to be emotionally mature. You need to learn self-reflection. You are the man. He helped David see. He helped. This is hard for you to hear, right? It's hard for us to hear when someone tells us the truth about ourselves. He helped David see that he had no pity. No pity or concern for the pain of others. He killed Uriah the Hittite. Killed him. Took his wife. Killed him. He was rich. He had everything. Why would he have to take this guy's wife? He he could have anybody he wanted. But he was so self-centered at this point. And Nathan was saying, David, you have no pity and no concern for others. David... Like David, I think we can easily see, this is where we have to kind of, you know, I have to, you have, we all have to own this. We can easily see the flaws in others, but we can't easily see those same flaws in ourselves. I find this to be, I got to be honest with you, after all these years, I find this fascinating, fascinating. There are people who will sit down and they will tell people, they will sit down and counsel people about control issues that that person has. You know, here's your control issues affecting your marriage. Your control issues are affecting your relationship with your kids. You're more controlling. Here's why you're controlling. Here's some things you can do to overcome. And the person saying this is the most controlling person I've ever met in my life. Finances. Boy, you're not good with your finances. You go and do this and do that. Why are you doing this? You're spending money on things you shouldn't be spending money on. The person saying this is awful with their finances. But they have such good wisdom to share with the person who they're talking with about their finances, relationship. I mean, honestly, from teenagers to adults, everybody's an expert on everybody else's relationship but they can't see the same issues in their own life. Self-reflection, the ability to look within yourself and see it within yourself and not just see it within other people. I'm not saying this to, to just beat up on all of us and I'm including myself in this. I'm saying this because honestly, if, if, we, can, if we can own this, if we can grasp this, If we can take this from this room out into the world, it will change our lives. And we will not be able to walk that straight path that God has for us. We will not be able to fulfill the purpose for which God created us if we don't get a hold of and understand emotional maturity. We are not going to be spiritually mature if we are not emotionally mature. Because there are things that where God wants you to grow that if you don't learn this, you won't get there. You emotionally can't get there. It's too difficult. It just becomes too difficult. And all the things we've been talking about are really hard. And I'm thinking to myself, what's a roadblock for me and for everyone to get to the point where we're laying all these really difficult things out, we're reaching for the pinnacle, we're reaching for God's purpose for our lives and to become more like Christ and, you know, to offer up our bodies a living sacrifice and all these difficult things. If we don't get this one down, guys, we're going to get stuck. We're going to be stuck. So David's response shows us, okay, another way that we can grow emotionally, become emotionally mature. David's response to Nathan, Nathan points it out and David, okay, confesses it and just he owns it and he repents. David, he says, you are the man. David is the king. David could have continued down this path of emotion, using his emotion to dictate his actions. But once it's pointed out and he realizes what happened, David takes a step back and he is broken. Read Psalm 53. He is completely broken over what he has done. He could have said, off with this guy's head. How dare you come into me? I'm the king. You don't tell me anything. You tell this dopey story, get me all worked up, and then you say, it's me? Hey, you, grab him, get your knife, cut off his head, I'm done with him. Drag him out, bury him somewhere. That's not what he did. He owned it. He repented. He repented of his sin. When Nathan pointed it out, David did not argue. David did not work at all, worked up over it. For followers of Christ, emotional maturity has a tremendous impact on our spiritual lives. A tremendous impact on our spiritual lives because controlling our emotions directly affects, like I said, our spiritual maturity. Controlling our emotions has a direct correlation with spiritual maturity. You know that. You know, if, you, if, I, if I say to you, who is the most spiritually mature person that you know? you're also going to probably be able to say he's also the most emotionally mature person or she is also the most emotionally mature person that I know. Now, let me say before I move forward here, this is really important. So get your thinking caps on. Let's keep sticking with this. This is important. Emotions are not bad. Emotions are not bad. It's not wrong to feel. Everyone is is moved and reacts to their emotions. Jesus is the perfect example in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be crucified. He feels the intensity of what that is. And he's saying, Father, if it it be your will, let let this cup pass from me. His human side is fully God and fully man. His fully man side is kind of agonizing through this because his fully God side can completely understand what's about to come. He wasn't thinking, he wasn't like being anxious, like we become anxious sometimes where it's like, well, you don't really know if it's going to happen. Jesus was overwhelmed with emotion and pain because he knew exactly what was going to happen. Feeling emotions is not sinful. Let me say that again. Feeling your emotions is not sinful. It's how you react to emotion that makes the difference. That's what matters. Feeling emotions are not sinful. It's how we react to those emotions that actually matters. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says, Be anxious, said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. What? If we get, if we get frightened or we get anxious or we get stressed or we get, do not be anxious about those things, but in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Okay, so you're going to feel sometimes, but what do you do with those feelings? Act on them, get sick over them, be overwhelmed by them, you know. no. Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What is it you're dealing with? Some of you wake up really early in the morning, like 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, worrying about things. Let me tell you something. What you want to do is before you go to bed, you want to spend some time with the Lord. Bring to mind everything you, you usually wake up worrying about and give them over to God before you go to bed. You say, well, that will make me think about it. You're thinking about it anyway, and you're waking up at 3 or 4 in the morning. What you want to do is address it with the Lord before you go to bed. That will keep you asleep. It worked for me. Through prayer and petition. Uh, this is, I'm worried about, kind of a little worried about this. I'm worried about this. Lord, can you help me deal with this? I can't do anything while I'm laying in bed tonight, Lord. So if you would just please help me work through this when I get up in the morning and we have the deal, help me deal with it, help me, and walk it through with the Lord. That will keep you asleep at night. Now, and, and we're, this is, uh, you're going to say, I don't I remember the, how he defined all these things, but here's the thing. We have this week with Pastor Jeff, this is, will all be, this whole sermon will be written down, and this week with Pastor Jeff, and it will be on the, 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 the CD outside too, but it's on this week with Pastor Jeff, so you'll have these definitions, it's truly important. So emotion is defined, this is important, as the mental state that arises spontaneously rather than through conscious effort, and is often accompanied by physiological changes. That means we usually can't control it. We usually can't control it. There are certain things, emotions, feelings that come into your life that you have no control over. You're a human being. Something happens. If you get chased by something, all right, that's bigger than you, right, it, you're, you're not going to have to sit there and go, hmm, I wonder if I feel afraid. Let me see if I feel afraid. What should I do? I don't think I, maybe I should, you know what I mean? It's just your emotions. God designed us that way. In 2011, 2011, I had a confrontation with a 110 pound Akita. Okay, this is a large, large dog, a large, vicious, nasty dog. I was saving one of our high school students, Carly, from being horrifically mauled by this dog. It was an awful awful experience, awful. For a few years after that event, I had a physiological response, okay? Um, I had a physiological response to large dogs. If I saw a large-headed dog, okay? Some of the smaller dogs didn't react too much, but I saw a large-headed dog, you have this fight and flight, okay? That's the way we're designed. Immediately, if I saw a large-headed dog, especially right after this event, a year or two after the event, if I saw one, okay, I had a physiological response to that large dog. And it was fight. There wasn't fright at all. I could not control that feeling that came over me. My testosterone level went through the roof. My adrenaline took off. And my whole body, I would watch my body react to it, to these dogs. Because I had that emotional response, this intense, and then it was followed by this intense emotional pain. Because once I dispatched of the dog, then I went and I had to see what had happened to her. And what happened to her was horrific, horrific. Something I will never, my brain couldn't even comprehend what I was seeing. And then I broke down and just weaved over. I just cried and cried after the adrenaline aggression. After that was done, all of a sudden, I just broke down emotionally. So what happens is when I would see aggressive, hear an aggressive dog, but if I watch a movie or I'd see a TV show where there was a wolf or a bear or a dog or something and it was attacking a person, I would have a physiological response to that. First, I would get aggressive and Deb would sit next to me in a movie theater one time and she reached over because it was a wolf attacking somebody. And she reached over and said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. But by the time I was saying, I'm fine. My body had already reacted. I don't have any, I didn't have any cognitive control over my reaction. That that is not sinful of me. Our emotions are not evil, wrong, sinful. It's how we respond to those emotions. I couldn't help feeling the intensity and the, the fight. And I couldn't help feeling the brokenness and the hurt afterwards. It just came so an emotion is a strong feeling, a disturbance, a departure from the normal calm state of rational thinking and acting. It's a disturbance. It's a departure from the normal calm state, calm state of rational thinking and acting. It's a, it's basically an impulse toward an action that has, that has, that has, that has, that has, that has not been reasoned or approved by the mind. Okay. Not been reasoned through sometimes. I literally I could be standing there and someone could say, "Are you okay?" and I would say, "Yeah, oh yeah, I'm fine." And 2 seconds later because the doctor told me that where when you have a trauma in your life, your traumas are stored in different places than your memory. It's different. So even though you're saying you're, you can cognitively say, "I'm fine." Your your brain has already reacted and so you have your emotions. And so many people say after I give these talks sometimes like they get upset because they, they think that, oh, they're upset because they think, well, you're saying emotions are wrong and you have to control your emotions. They're wrong. They're not wrong. I didn't choose to feel the way I did. Emotions create feelings of fear and happiness and, and anxiety and, and grief and anger. But we need to learn how to control them. I hate to, now this is going to stir up some emotions in some of you, okay? So just take, maybe take your husband by the hand or your wife by the hand if she likes the Bengals. All right, in 2016, 2016, Josh and I are watching the Bengals game, the, the playoff game against the Steelers. Bengals have the pre- game pretty much in hand, but the Steelers coaches are really smart. And what they do is they send their co- other assistant coaches out in the field and they taunt the Bengals players knowing that the Bengals, some of the Bengals players are not emotionally mature. They get them all worked up. Penalty, penalty, penny, field goal, game's over. The Bengals had won that game. They lost that game. I looked at Josh, and I, I always talked to him about, do not let your emotions dictate your actions. I said to him, why did the Bengals lose that game? He said, because they let their emotions dictate their actions. That's exactly why they lost the game. And that's exactly why we sometimes lose in life. In our relationships, at work, at school, we lose because we allow our emotions to dictate our actions. There's nothing wrong with our emotions. It's when we let them control our lives, and we don't take hold of those things and put them under the authority of Jesus Christ. Emotions often determine mood. That's why emotionally immature people are very moody. They're very moody. I think Jonah... Okay, was emotionally immature. I really do. Jonah was emotionally immature. He reacted emotionally. God sends him to Nineveh to preach to Nineveh. Okay, doesn't want to go. And when, God, when he does, he's forced to go. Okay, literally spit up on shore by the giant fish, right? He goes and he preaches, and the, the people of Nineveh hear him, hear what he says. They repent, and God forgives them, and Jonah is. Beside himself, he's, you read the book of Jonah, he's whining and complaining and scooching and moaning while God is trying to talk to him through reason, rational reason. He, so he's sitting down with him trying to teach him emotional maturity. Jonah was going to have none of it. Even, have you ever tried to to talk reason to an emotionally immature person? I mean, think about, like, someone's really young. You try to be rational and reasonable with them. They, they don't get it. But there are people this big who don't get it either. You ever tried to reason through something with an emotionally immature person? Okay, so for God, God the, 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 none of us preach to, they repent. God forgives them. Now, let me read you chapter 4. I have to read you chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. This is what he says, Isn't this what I said, Lord? When we were still at home, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. There's some emotional maturity. But the Lord replied, listen, this is important, but the Lord replied to them reasonably, is it right for you to be angry? Smart enough, he says nothing. Jonah had gone down, but he didn't... It's not that he said, oh, yeah, you're right, Lord. No, this is what Jonah does. Jonah had gone out and sat down in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So he's still hoping that God's still going to get these folks. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and it grew. It made it he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. God's teaching him something here. okay? in the story. And Jonah, Jonah was very happy about the plant. Very happy because it provided shade for whose head? What are what emotionally immature people are the ones who take and mature people are the ones who give. Emotionally immature people are self-centered, and mature people are other person centered. But he was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day God provided a worm which chewed the plant and so that it withered. When the sun rose God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. He was very happy a verse and a half ago. And now he's going to want to die again. But God said to Jonah, here's what he says again. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Self-reflection, my son, self-reflection. It is, he said, I'm angry enough and I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have not, you have been concerned about this plant But you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many animals? The mood, okay, the mood of an emotionally immature person is, is basically determined or dominated by their primary emotion at the time. Okay, so the the mood of emotionally immature people is driven by their dominant emotion. I got the I got the leafy plant. I got the vine growing over my head. I'm happy. God's not doing what I want. I'm unhappy. This person does that. I'm happy again. That person does this. I'm unhappy again. Whoa! Roller coaster, roller coaster, roller coaster, all the way through. Emotionally immature people. Their moods are dominated by that, that, that dominant emotion. It's driven by the dominant emotion at the time. So I want to look as we close out here at Jonah and, and look at his, look at his life and his lack of emotional maturity and see what we can learn for our own lives. Okay, so I'm going to kind of sum this up a little bit. Jonah lost perspective. Emotionally immature people can only see life from their own perspective. You sit down with someone, emotionally mature people will look in in, in an argument or a disagreement and think to themselves with their wife or their husband or their kids or their coworker, and think to themselves, I wonder, let me try to see it from their perspective. Let me try to understand how they're feeling. Why would they be feeling the way they're feeling or saying what they're saying? Because you're other person-centered. Jonah lost perspective. He allowed his emotions to completely dictate his actions. Jonah lacked emotional maturity, okay, because he could not self-reflect. God was trying desperately to help him. He would say to him over and over again, do you have, he was, do you have any right to be upset about this? Do you have any right to be upset about this or this or this? That's what God was saying. Do you have any right? I'm angry enough to die. Why? Because he's emotionally immature and he's dominant. He allows his his emotions to dominate his actions. So he couldn't self-reflect. If we are going to become more emotionally mature and therefore spiritually mature, we have to learn to self-reflect. We have to learn to see things from other people's perspective. Jonah didn't have an eternal view of life. He did not have an eternal view of life. Here's the thing. Hear me out. This is not like I'm, I'm just flippantly saying this. Jonah hated them, wanted them to physically die, and he wanted them to go straight to hell. Not emotional. I'm just stating the facts. He did not want to preach so they would repent. Because, because if they do not repent, he's not stupid. If they do not repent, they're going to physically die. They're not going to be able to repent. They're going to be separated from God for eternity. That wasn't Jonah's problem because they were his enemy. They were Israel's enemy. He hated them so much he wanted them to die and they can go to hell. Literally, that is a temporal perspective. I don't care what anyone's ever done to you in your life. Most of you in this room would say about your worst enemy. No, I don't wish that on my worst enemy. Whatever God does, he does. I'm not going to help him anyway, but, but I don't wish that on my worst enemy. Jonah was not concerned about the needs of others and and God told him, you're worrying so much about yourself, you're worrying so much about that your own comfort, but not the lives of 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left and all the animals. Jonah said, kill everyone, and I'm going to sit here in the shade and watch. Emotional immaturity. Now, we can say, what a knucklehead, what a, what a loser, what a whatever we can or we, we we me and all of us can do is say where am i like jonah where am i like jonah where am i not all, you're not completely like him but where am i like david where am i like solomon where am i like jonah where am i like where what are my gaps where am i emotionally where is my emotional immaturity that's something i need to work on emotionally mature people are usually spiritually mature people because they understand some some important biblical truths. God, one of them is that God has given each of us a mind, a mind, not just the heart and not just emotions, but he's giving, uh, giving us a mind. And he wants us to use that mind to learn, to go through different. I just taught you about Jonah and, jo- and and Solomon and David, and we, we can respect them in different ways, but sometimes we can look at people. I, I said to our, to Kim and Jen before they went to college, there are so many things you learned from me and your mom that I want you to take with you. And there are some, things that you learned, I don't want you to take with you. Something that don't take this with you. This is a flaw in me. This was, this was something I'm, this is something I'm still working on. So recognize that and don't take that with you. That's okay to say. We need to recognize and we need to learn. We need to learn, which brings me back to my cry to all of us that we would read and study the word of God. We'd read and study it. Uh, If you don't know the word of God, listen, if you do not know the word of God, 100% you are going to be limited in your emotional maturity. End of of story, end of case, exclamation point, period. That's all there is to it. You cannot grow emotionally mature without knowing the word of God. You're going to limit yourself in that area of your life. I said earlier that our emotions are not wrong. They're not wrong. It's not wrong to feel your emotions. It's how you respond to those feelings. It's how you interact with those feelings. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, I'm going to go back to that because he's our perfect example. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, was overwhelmed with emotion. And he said, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But then what did he say? Okay, what did he say? He's feeling, he's feeling, and nothing wrong with feeling. He's asking God, God, if you can take this from me, do it. Then he goes, okay, all right. Those are feelings, but not my will be done, your will be done. Not my will be done, your will be done. Without, listen, without knowing God's word, how do you know God's will? You say, what would Jesus do in this situation? Without knowing God's word, I mean, it's like, What would Jesus do? You you don't know what Jesus would do if you don't know the word of God. So when you're asking the question, well, what would Jesus do in this situation at work? Uh, What would Jesus do? We don't know if we don't know what Jesus would actually do because we have never really studied the life of Christ We need to study the life of Christ to answer the question, what would Jesus do? And we need to know God in order to know God's will. And that's for all of us. That's for all of us. Wherever we are in our spiritual journey, each one of us needs to keep growing to maturity in Jesus Christ. Now I want to share a few really, really important steps to emotional maturity. And these will change your entire life. And I will share them with you next week. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time we can spend together. And God, thank you so much for teaching me so much over the past couple of weeks as I was writing this sermon. God is so good for each one of us to look into our own hearts and self-reflect and realize we're not where we need to be. That's OK. Because we talked about sanctification. It's an ongoing process. And if we just take what we've learned this morning, Lord God, and don't beat ourselves up, don't get all condemnation feeling and all that type of thing, Lord, we just take what we're learning and apply it to our lives. Little by little, we'll become more like your son, Jesus Christ. So I pray that you'd help every single person in here take those baby steps to becoming more emotionally mature so that we can ultimately become more like your son, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Have a great, great week.